0: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Bears. My name is Joy Christopoulos with my co-host Corey Wooten. Thank you so much for checking us out on YouTube right now. Like and subscribe. And also, if you're listening on Sirius XM Radio... Thank you very much. We have a fantastic show with a fantastic guest coming in, in about 40 seconds. But well, we've got to talk about our presenting sponsor. It's betonline.ag, and look, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, your latest fighting news, and even next season's NFL futures. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website. Or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code believe, BLEAV to get your bonus. And get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. We have a fantastic show here. But first, let's say hello to my co host. He is former Bears defensive end, Northwestern alum, and Fox 32 Chicago's very young, Corey Wooten. What's up, Corey?
1: What's going on, Joey, man? I'm doing good, man. Just recovering. Just, just got back from the beach last week, so I'm missing it a lot. <laughs>
0: You know you know you had a great vacation when you're hopping in the ice bath after the vacay. So congratulations <laughs> on that, Corey. Uh, let's let's bring in our guest today. We're so excited to have him he needs very little introduction because he's been in the Chicago sports scene on and off the field for the past few decades. He is a Joliet native. He is a Notre Dame alum. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's an 85 Bear. He is road grading running lanes for Walter Payton and Neil Anderson. And my favorite part, he has a career record against the Green Bay Packers of 13 and 3. And now you know him as the voice of the Chicago Bears game day for WVBM radio with Jeff Joniak. For the past eight, two decades, I think he's coming up on his 18th season. It's not the guitar player from KISS. It's Tom Thayer. Hello, Tom. (laughs) It's kind of funny you mentioned the guitar player from KISS because my last
2: trip to Maui, he and I had a chance to run into each other. I knew that he stayed at the same place that I have a home, and some guy came running up to me and said, hey, there's a guy here that wants to meet you, Tommy Thayer from KISS. And so we got to become friends and uh, hang out for a week on the beach in Maui, and it's funny. It was a big thrill of mine, to, you know, to meet a rock and roll superstar like Tommy Thayer from Kiss. Man,
0: I was with some the, friends the, over the weekend and I was just like, hey, I'm having Tom Thayer on and they're from Boston. They're like the guy from Kiss. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> this is way better. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> that, that's awesome, Tom. Was, was he a football fan by, by any chance? Well, he was
2: a football fan just because he knew that we had the name in common. And I think gotcha. when you kind of have a name in common, you kind of investigate a little bit what your background is and vice versa. And so I, I remember once, Corey, about a couple of years ago, um, my when my mom was still alive, they had a picture of the band Kiss on the cover of the uh, Sun-Times. <laughs> and so I brought it to my mom and I go, Mom, look can you guess which one is me because they put me in makeup and she picked out, Oh, these are your hands. I know this is you. This is, and I go, mom, I'm just kidding. Yeah. This is actually a guy named Tommy Thayer from the band kiss. And so it, you know, having some fun with it, but um, yeah, you know, kind of getting a, a, a better chance to get to know each other during the course of that week. It was, it was really cool. And um, you know, I'm not a huge music fan per se, but it, I, I've always known of his name, so it's kind of neat to get the get to meet the man behind the makeup.
0: That, yeah, what a serendipitous awesome. run in! That's fantastic. I absolutely love that, uh, Tom. We're so happy to have you on the pod here today. on Believe in Bears. Uh, let's just dive right in, real quick, and let's just kind of maybe start with some general. Let's get off the football running. Let's get off the bus running the football a little bit. If you could just tell our audience a little bit, what has been your perspective so far from the moment you know GM Ryan Poles has been? Uh, hired from the moment that Matt Eberflus has been hired all the way through free agency in the draft to where we're sitting now about two months to go before training camp starts. What has been your perspective so far on their process? And are you kind of liking how things are developing right now for the Chicago bears team? You know, I am because I
2: like to see what the coaches say at the podium. And if they bring that to the practice field, because the first thing Matt Eberflus said when he was introduced is you better bring your running shoes. And Corey, and you know, you guys know it. Every time you go through a coaching change, you better be on high alert because nobody is guaranteed a job, and everything's going to be judged on what you do going forward. And so, what I've seen out of Matt Eberflus and this entire coaching staff, and the expected effort that's given at OTAs and the mini camps, and now getting ready to go to the mandatory mini camp, I like what I've seen. This is an effort-based group. This is Matt. Eberflus coming here and saying, hey, we are going to run the ball and we are going to run the ball to that outside running lane. And that's going to have a major influence on what we do as an entire package, offensively speaking. And they've been, that's exactly, he's kept to his word. And then when he tells the defenders and, you know, Corey, you being an ex-defensive lineman, I don't know if I always like to hear how much we're going to run. But when the defense is on the field, even though they're not in pads, it's a hundred percent effort. It's about no loafing. It's about getting to the ball, no matter what position you play and where the ball is. So, um, I'm super encouraged about the effort expectations that's expected out of these guys going into practice, because it's not going to be a surprise once they get to training camp. And, um, I think really the only way you learn football, no matter what position you play, is doing it as close to game speed as you possibly can to get the reality of timing, expectations, blocking position, throws to routes if you're a, a receiver quarterback combination, or defensively, how quick you got, how quickly you have to get in position in order to make the defense work according to plan.
1: Man, Tom, I, I love what you said. And I think about the, the Bears' best years when, when you were there, uh, the, the run in 06 when they had Thomas Jones, and then when I was there with Matt Forte, running the football, playing great defense. That's what they're getting back to, which I really like. Because I know everybody wanted the offensive-minded head coach. Then I thought about it for a sec. I'm like, when have the Bears done the best, right? When you play great defense, you run the football, you control the possession, you take the pressure off the quarterback. And they're getting back to that, especially with Justin Fields being a young quarterback. So I really like that. Because you look at the past couple years with the Bears, when Vic Fangio left, We had trouble stopping the run. That was a big thing. That's never been an issue with the Chicago Bears. And then the attention to detail, all the penalties, you know, the the personal fouls, the offsides, those attention to detail things. And what Iberflus is getting back to that, okay, assignment, gap discipline, you know, let's really focus on these things. That's why I really like what he's going to bring to the table for the Bears. Me too.
2: And, you know, I'm just I'm glad he's carrying through with his message. But it's really going to be interesting, Corey, when you see these guys in full pads, because you know, what's weird because, you know, when when, back when I was playing, you didn't have all the OTAs and everything during the offseason. So you had a mini camp, you were expected to be in shape, and then you were expected to be in shape once training camp got here. So you go through these OTAs, you go through the mandatory mini camp, and then you have a six week window that you're kind of on your own. And I want to see what do the guys do with it? You know, Clyde Emmerich, the great Clyde Emmerich, who recently passed away, the longest tenured NFL strength coach, he always used to say it takes you two days to get out of shape and two weeks to get in shape. And so if these guys go and just sit around and they forget about the the academic part of football, they don't really stay in the weight room, they're not on the conditioning field, and then you come into training camp and it takes you two more weeks to get into shape, training camp's over. And so I think every single one of these guys have to take what their window of opportunity is, even though they don't have to go to OTAs and stuff, they better do something with it. And so Ernie, sorry, guys, I got, I got three dogs (laughs) here. Um,
1: I got two dogs. I get it, man. I get it.
2: (laughs) So I think with these guys, uh, with the message that's already been delivered and they know what has been transpired from the, classroom to the practice field look you got to be ready because you know you know man when you go through a coaching change you know whether you're a Roquan or a Justin Fields a David Montgomery maybe a Cole Kamata Darnell Mooney there is no guarantees everybody is out there trying to earn a earn uh earn a, a starting spot with this new coaching staff.
0: Yeah, So, Tom, if I can maybe segue uh, over to a little bit, maybe more of your forte. I do want to talk about that offensive line and you're kind of working transitionally perfect into the body types. What Ryan Poles has talked about, maybe moving away from the Juan Castillo mantra of bulking up a little bit. Ryan Poles says, hey, we're going to thin down. You already kind of mentioned a little bit about that outside running game. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, just for the casual fan, what exactly does that mean? philosophy-wise for the offensive line this year. Do you like the room right now? And if you could put your pulse on it, do you think they might still add to that room before training camp begins?
2: Well, you know what? I'm glad you brought that
0: up because that's one of the most important points of this
2: offseason is, you know, the last offensive line coach said, oh, you got to be at least 325 pounds to play in the NFL. That's baloney. It's about speed, quickness, efficiency, athleticism, and, you know, the, the makeup of what Ryan Poles is expecting out of these guys. So the other night I had a chance to see Tevin Jenkins and some Cody Whitehair and some of the other offensive linemen, and these guys are slim down. And they talked about that outside zone running, how that is going to be a mainstay of their running offense. So if you think about these guys from guards tackle out to the tight end center and so on, if you can have that inc- incredible quick um, opportunity to try to gain that outside running lane – and you try to open up, you know, the outside for Dave Montgomery and Khalil Herbert and the rest of the running backs. You think of what that can do for influence of the whole offense. So now, if you got a defense that says, "Man, we got to get to the outside," whether you're a defensive tackle, backside linebacker, or whatever, we got to get to that outside running lane. And all of a sudden, they get to that outside running lane. There's Dave Montgomery. He gets outside. How about you don't hand it off to Dave Montgomery? How about now it's a play-action pass and you're just trying to get defensive players out of position? And then how about this? You don't hand it off to Dave Montgomery. It's not a play-action, play-action fake. It's Justin Fields coming out the backside. So now if you don't have those two backside defenders playing disciplined defensive football, and now you got wide-open territory for routes to Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, or just for Justin Fields to keep the ball – I just think that point of emphasis of the offensive line slimming down, becoming quicker at the point of attack can have much more of an influence for the the whole offensive package. And to me, I think David Montgomery is one of the best backs that the Bears have had here in years. And, you know, Corey brought up Thomas Jones. And I remember walking down the hall one time and saying, Thomas, Walter Payton would be proud of you for the type of effort you give, your dedication to being a professional football player. And that's kind of what we have in David Montgomery. So I think it's a, this offense is a nice compliment to Montgomery, but it's also a big compliment to Justin and his talents, along with Darnell Mooney, the developing uh, wide receiver position. And then hopefully Cole Komet takes that next step where he starts getting in the class of where he was drafted and what his, what he's capable of.
1: Yeah, I would love that, Cole Komet, to take that next step. And and the big thing for me, and Joey, we always talk about this, I think his red zone production, I think that's where he can really shine. And I've always said this, I think he can be like a Kyle Rudolph in his prime, you know, a Pro Bowl-type player. It's not going to have over 1,000 every year, but he's going to be really, really significant in the red zone to be able to get open, use his body well, he can block well. So that's where I really see him, you know, hitting his sky as as like a Kyle Rudolph type of player. You
2: know what's going to be interesting, Corey, is you know how when you're you're in a you're in a room, you're in a defensive line room for a number of years with your football team, and then all of a sudden your your position gets elevated. Your position gets elevated because you have guys that come and go. So now Jimmy Graham is no longer in that room. So Cole Komet, he's got to take control of the room from the tight end position. But like you said. It's his red zone um, efficiency. He's got to be a touchdown catcher. He's got to be a first down catcher. So Cole Komet, I think, is going to be a mainstay at the tight end position. But he also has to be elevated in that you know senior leadership of, of the entire room. And I, I think that really puts a lot more on your shoulders than just production on the field.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. We talk about it a lot here on Believe in Bears, this concept of I, I don't think we like last year, we we're like, does this team need a number one wide receiver? Does this need an? I mean, every single football team in the NFL would love to have that. We kind of believe a complementary pieces of depth in a room, which I think the Bears have done in the offseason with the Tajai Sharp, Dante Pettis, yeah. go down the list at St Brown, uh, Byron Pringle, that I think we're going to have enough in that room with a guy like Cole Komet. The question that we have, Tom, is that, you know, when the play breaks down and when Justin is at his best, are there going to be guys that are going to be able to play, you know, a little bit with him and find that kind of chemistry and find open in those get open in those moments. That's kind of what we're trying to find out. You know, Joe, I, I
2: think this offense is better set up for uh, Justin Fields to create those big plays because of things, you know, one of the things that I like best about Justin is his long ball accuracy he is really, you know, he's he's got great targeting. He's got great ball placement of passes over 20 yards. And that's one of the things that kind of a- escape Mitchell Trubisky. And so now when you put this new offense in place with that outside zone running influence and not just straight drop back passes where the defense can <laughs> hone in on exactly where, where you're going to be. Now it's more where you got to kind of guess where Justin's going to end up, where his throwing position is going to be, is it play action? Is it a David Montgomery run? Is it is it a backside bootleg? So I think when you look at the the uh, receive, receivers that you mentioned, it's going to be an interesting competition. Probably one of the most competitive positions competed for going into the training going into this training camp. But I think it's a more complementary offense for Justin's assets rather than just putting him back there as a stationary target. When you go back and look at his first start last year against the Cleveland Browns, do we have to better than anybody. <laughs> when you go into that same snap count where it's going to be a silent count where they're going to lift the quarterback's head of the center's head up and then he's going to throw the ball back, that defensive line keen on it, he sacked 9 times and hit 13. So now with that whole new movement offense, I think it's going to fit Justin better.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I love that zone right, zone left. As as a defensive player, it was always so hard to play against people like that because it really gets you off balance. There's not too many dropbacks, and and it, it kind of gets you frustrated as a pass rusher because you're thinking, okay, there's zone right, zone left, then or boot. Are they going to boot it? Then you're not chasing down the line of scrimmage as much. Not as many dropbacks. So I really agree with that, especially with the old line not really set for the future, especially with the left left tackle.
2: Yeah, hey, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I do think that is going to be one of the most interesting battles going into training camp. You know, they brought Larry Borm aboard and they have Tevin Jenkins, but I think that these guys are most well set: Larry Borm at left tackle and Tevin Jenkins at right tackle. So I, there's still other guys in place that are going to, you know, they're going to be competing equally as hard as as Larry Borm and Tevin Jenkins. So I think it's going to be interesting because that position may be one of the deciding factors of what you can do at the offensive line. And if you can put those guys in a, in a position of confidence, if they feel Tevin Jenkins, uh, can stay healthy and he's healed up from his back surgery last year and Larry Borm, who, you know, I, I was impressed with Larry Borm from the first day I saw him come to practice last year. He's a big body. He's got really clever feet and he's got good hand placement. So If those two guys can step into place or they get two really two good guys at offensive tackle that can hold the position down for a 17-game season, I think that will assist the development of this offense as much as any position on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Are you a little disappointed that in the draft – and I told Joey this. There was a guy I was eyeing from Central Michigan, Bernard Ryman, right, the left tackle. Yeah. He was available with that third-round pick. We didn't have to trade up or anything. And now he's competing for a starting spot at left tackle for the Indianapolis Colts. I thought he was a guy that could potentially play and be a starter day one. And I kind of just didn't understand the, the reasoning of not picking him. I, I know everybody has their – but. Left tackle was was a huge position to fill. This is a guy that pe- many people thought could be a first-rounder, late first-rounder. He's available at the third round. Now he's competing for the uh, uh, Colts' starting position. You know, he's looking good, and, and you know, I know it's mini-camp, but uh, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't, you know, go after him with that pick.
2: Yeah, I, Corey, I agree with you 100% because, you know, I'm kind of from the Jim Fink school of thinking where it's offense and defensive line first, and then you can get fit everybody else in place after that. And when they were sitting there and they uh, they picked uh, Kyler Gordon at the cornerback position in the second round, and then it was an uh, opportunity to kind of capitalize and bring in an offensive lineman at that yeah. point. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I thought it would have given him a little bit more versatility uh, from in terms of trying to fit where the offensive line fits in best.
1: I was cool with the first two picks, like going defense. But that third pick that they picked Villas Jones, that's the one I wanted Ryman to be because I thought he was right there. We wouldn't have had to trade up, and I was like, we should we should have picked him at that point just to kind of get another body at left tackle to compete for a spot. You know, have have him and uh, you know uh, Larry Borum compete in in training yeah. camp. That's or, what I thought would know, be a but- great thing.
2: If you brought in a legitimate left tackle, a guy that's been in that stance a thousand times already in his career, and then you put Larry Borum over at right tackle where maybe he's a right-handed guy a little bit more yeah. comfortable, then you talk about bookend tackles for the next 10 years. And then yeah. maybe you could take Tevin Jenkins and put him in that right, right guard spot where they're still trying to figure out you know, who's going to fill the void at right guard.
1: So, Tom, in your opinion, do you think Tevin Jenkins fits a little bit more inside than, than right tackle? Like, you've seen him a lot more in person and practices, et cetera. Like, do you feel like he kind of fits that mold?
2: You know, Corey, I think he's a right-side player. I think that if if he didn't work out at right tackle or they had a better option at right tackle, I would give him the opportunity to move in at right guard because he's kind of has that offensive guard body style. Um, what I saw out of him at left tackle, I wasn't, you know, those guys, they kind of made the assumption that, oh, he can play left tackle because he played a couple games in college. I played a whole year at left tackle at Notre Dame, and I know I can't play left tackle <laughs> at the NFL level. So it's not something that you got to figure out, it's something that you kind of know. And so, yeah, to me, if, if Tag, Te- even nowadays, if Tevin didn't work out at right tackle, my next opportunity to give him I would give him at right guard
0: and you would know from experience fantastic right <laughs> guard for the Chicago Bears the 85 Bears for crying out loud so we should definitely listen to what you're saying on that front if I can um, if I can rope back to fields just one more time real quick because we've done it on this show before Tom I joined Twitter last August whatever it was a mistake but no but there's there's this narrative out there right that that and we li- maybe we live in this day and age where they feel like the Bears brass isn't giving enough effusive praise towards Justin Fields, and by not overly praising Justin Fields, they therefore do not believe in him. So my question for you is: Are they perhaps, in our opinion, we think that they're maybe setting up a healthy atmosphere of maybe they don't have the Goo Goo Gaga glasses that they have because they didn't ju- they didn't draft Justin Fields. It still means that they can love Justin Fields, but they don't have to go over the board. And he still has to prove himself in the NFL. You know, what is your perspective on how you feel the Bears brass views Justin Fields in just his second year in the NFL? And is it healthy for them to continue to want a little bit more from him? Well, you know, I don't think anybody deserves false
2: praise because then you're just, you know, setting everybody up up for fail. You know, kind of like if you don't go out there, and develop into the player what everybody's assuming you're going to be is I, but I think what they've got a reflection of Justin's work ethic, the way he takes mm. football from the academic classroom side of it onto the field, his enthusiasm at practice, his willingness to ask questions to make sure he gets a better understanding. You know, listen, I, I, I played for Ditka for nine years. Every single day I walked into the facility, I thought that was the day I was going to get cut in and I played with some legendary guys that he never gave false praise to. It's about being a part of a team that you come in here and you work up to the expectations of the coaching staff. And Justin has done all that. I had a chance to watch him every day in practice last year, being the first guy out in the field to start practice and then lingering there after throwing balls to the different receivers. So he doesn't shy away from work. And it's just a matter of, hey, let Luke Geske get to know him a little bit. Let Matt Iberflus get to know him. And um, I think that they have a, a much higher opinion of Justin now than they just assume coming into the building. That would have been, if you would have said, oh, my God, we, we, you know, we got the next Lamar Jackson or we got the next whomever you want to say as a great quarterback. I think it's unfair. Let Justin prove it to you. And I think that Justin has done a lot. To prove what his value is ultimately going to be for the bears.
1: Hey Tom, and, and me and Joey always talk about this last year. I didn't think they did him really any favors, you know, catering to what he really likes, you know, in, in that Pittsburgh game in that second half where he really shined, they were they were I love the play calling in there, but I just feel like a bunch of times last year, we were very efficient running the football. And then, you know, 10 points later, you know, we're down 10 points. And then all of a sudden the second quarter, they seem to panic. And then get real pass happy. You're like, whoa, whoa, David Montgomery's averaging five yards a pop. Uh, Khalil Herbert is the same thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, they got drop back pass happy. But that's why I like this this new offensive scheme, what they're going to do, the zone right, the zone left, because you really keep these guys off balance. And you really protect the old line. So I'm looking forward to this year because I, I think everybody expects Justin Fields to, you know, throw for 400 yards every game. But that's not realistic. I think good success for him would be like a Cam Newton early on in his career, right? He's very efficient, runs the football well, he protects the football. You know, he has 190 yards passing, two touchdowns, really capitalized in the red zone. I think that would be a great start for him. You know, I I don't think every... I'm sorry to interrupt you, Corey. You know, but
2: everything you're saying is right, because this is the first time that Justin's been in the NFL that the offense is dedicated to Justin and his surrounding counterparts you look at when he came to the bears and they signed Andy Dalton, they were, they anointed him as QB one. So now Matt Nagy and his staff, Bill Lazor and stuff, they're trying to design an offense that best fits Andy Dalton. And so then Justin Fields is just going to compliment and try to be a part of this offense. And then when Matt Nagy's calling plays, it's 65% throwing the ball, 35% running the ball. Then when Bill Lazor is calling plays, it's, 50% run and 50% pass. So there was nothing ever developed for Justin. This was just kind of a hodgepodge offense that's developing to see how all the pieces fit in place. And then there was no solid game plan. You could go into your next opponent with you look at the game plan against Cleveland, which I think was a complete failure. And then you talk about the second half game plan going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's like you're looking at two different teams. So, I think from this coaching staff being hired, being introduced to Justin Fields, getting a little bit of an understanding through OTAs, what his assets are, and then you start blueprinting an offense that best fits the talent that you're, that Ryan Poles is bringing in, the the running backs that you have. And like I said, Dave Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, and the whole room, I think they're quality running backs. So what makes me most excited about and for Justin is this is the first time everything's developed for Justin. The Bears didn't know that they were going to have an opportunity to trade with the Giants and bring Justin aboard after they already signed Andy Dalton. And with all due respect to Matt Nagy, I think that he was taking his play sheet and seeing how does it best fit Andy Dalton and how does uh, Nick Foles fit in the picture and what how is Justin going to you know what what is his uh position on this team going to be out you know be through his rookie season so i think it just complicated it for justin and i think there we as bears fans i'm a season ticket holder so (laughs) we as bears fans you know we got to be excited because this is the first time the entire package is developed for
0: justin Corey, we talked about that all last year. And it's just crazy to me, Tom, that you draft Justin Fields. How do you not drive home that night and you go, I'm gonna stay up all night with the whiteboard drawing up plays for this guy? Like, how are you not I, I understand that you're kind of wedded to a scheme that just kind of blows my mind a little bit. And also, yeah, you talked about that Pittsburgh Steelers game and, and Corey, you're talking about the quick Cam Newton style. I think of also that Detroit Lions game too, as well, where I think he threw for maybe like two twenty-ish but he popped a 25, he ripped a 35 yarder, right? Like we're yep. maybe in the fantasy world, no one's losing their minds, but these are big chunk plays that Justin Fields is executing. And I think that's something that we can hopefully get excited for next year. Tom Thayer here on believe in bears. Uh, we're going to spend the last portion. You know, it's just, it's just only June, Tom, or a couple months away. So <laughs> if we can maybe go back and talk about your career a little bit, a lot of this podcast is me and Corey talking about, and I learned so much from Corey about what it's like, not just on the field, but what it's like to be the player off the field. So if we can maybe go back through your career just a little bit, if we go back to 1983, we did actually a greatest bears off season of all time. And we think that the 1983 draft is perhaps the greatest bears off season of all time. But if you can go back a little bit, your story is a little bit different from all the others that were involved (laughs) in that 83 draft. And I just find it so curious that if you can go back and just talk through the emotions and the decisions that you made for those people that may not know, you know, you played the first three years in the US USFL before uh, you signed the contract before you were drafted by the Bears. Is that correct? Walk us through that story and, and your decision making and just what it was like to be an athlete at that time and to make such a huge life changing decision like that. Well, you know, it kind of started at the
2: Combine. So when I came out of college, we had to go to three different Combines. We had to go to one in Detroit, one in Seattle, and one in Tampa. And so I was at the Combines with uh, Bruce Matthews, with Dave Remington, with Don Mosbar, with, you know, all these Jimbo Covert, with all these great players. And when I was going through my drills, my bench press and all the stuff, I would, my numbers were as good as anybody out there. And so I was going, man, I'm – you know, really making some headway for myself in the draft. And so about a week and a half before the draft, one of the Bears scouts was at Notre Dame doing some testing and he came up and he said, Hey, I got some good news for you. We had a mock draft yesterday and we picked you in the fourth round. And I go fourth round. I'm not going in the fourth <laughs> round. I said, I'm better than that. And so it's, you know, just my own. And so about a two days later, I got a call from George Allen, who is the head coach of the Chicago blitz, who I happened to meet up at their facility. And he came and he says, Hey, uh, we're going to make you a contract offer because you're a territorial pick. We don't have to draft you. And it's going to be a fully guaranteed contract, no cut, you know, and every, you know, all the, everything, you know, that you don't get in the NFL, they can cut you. They could draft you today and cut you tomorrow. And so I, my agent at the time got on there and they discussed the finances, what was favorable to me to now I'm assuming I'm a fourth round draft choice. And so they made me a better financial offer than a fourth round draft choice in the NFL. That was not guaranteed. And so, um, I, George Allen did a great job of selling me on the Chicago blitz, telling me, look, as soon as you learn the system, you're going to come in here and you're going to start. And, um, <clears throat> so I, took another drive up there, sat and met with everybody in the organization. And so the draft was on a Tuesday and (laughs) there is no fanfare. It's just a Tuesday. And so you go (laughs) to the draft and they call you and tell you. So Tuesday at noon, I drive to the bear. I drive to the blitz facility. When I drive to the blitz facility, we go to the press conference and I announce that I'm signing a contract with the USFL Chicago blitz. And so all the guys, you know, you know, just, you know, that, that was the announcement I made. So they go directly from the Chicago blitz facility up to Hallis hall to go there for when the draft gets ready to start. And then, so Jim thinks comes to the podium and says in the fourth round, we we draft Tom Thayer out of Notre Dame and all the media <laughs> people started giggling and they go, and he goes, well, what's up? When what are you giggling? He goes, he just signed with the Blitz two hours ago. <laughs> and they didn't know it because they were in the war- their, <clears throat> their draft room not letting any inside information yeah. in. Shefty wasn't tweeting.
0: No, Adam Schefter tweets uh, breaking. Nowadays, off. nowadays
1: they would have found that out because of, because everybody's got a phone and a Twitter account, so they would have known you you got you got drafted and signed to the uh, USFL. Then they would have been like, "Nah, we're not we're not picking them now."
2: But but you know the thing about it is, I signed a three year deal, and it kind of worked out well for me because when the Bears drafted me, they had my rights for four years, so. By the time I was going through my third year in the USFL, we had already negotiated a contract for me to go to the Bears. So I played my last game on July 21st in Arizona on a Saturday night. It was so hot, unbelievable. I went from that game into my car, drove straight through nonstop to Platteville, Wisconsin. And I started full pad training camp on Monday.
1: And, I've heard this story. Um, He's told me the story. before. Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: And so it was a year I, I played, I think 46 games and I played a year and 16 days straight. Man. Um, but you know, Corey, you'd have done the same thing. Yeah, got 23 years old. I'm young. I had a chance to, and the reason I signed with the Chicago blitz is because I wanted to stay in Chicago. And then we moved out to Arizona and then Uh, We went from Arizona and then I I went back to the Chicago Bears and then had an opportunity to come in and compete. And um, we know the rest. The best happened. The Bears won the Super Bowl. (laughs)
0: 120 something straight starts later or whatever, right. whatever it is. Hey, hey, so, like
1: so, so, so Tom, real quick, what, what do you feel about when people complain about training camp being hard nowadays? You say, look <laughs> at me, man, <laughs> I went Corey. through a whole season entry.
2: <laughs> so that year, that year I went to, so the, the rookies and the injured players, we had to come in a week early, still full pads, two practices a day, conditioning and weightlifting up We went 22 straight days of doubles full pads, every practice with conditioning <laughs> after every afternoon practice. So I went from training camp right into, <laughs> right into, uh, I mean, I went from the end of a season right into training camp. And there, wow. there's a book that John Mann wrote. It's one knee equals two feet. And he paid me a nice compliment about being the only guy to do it. And no one will ever have another chance to do it just because uniquely enough, uh, without, having multiple leagues um, and, you know, having, you know, the the chance to do it, it wouldn't be done. But nowadays, you know, maybe a guy will come out of the USFL this year and get into an NFL camp or XFL in the future, because I'm all for more opportunities for more guys to create more opportunities for yourself. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that.
0: Well, you saw Donald Parham from the XFL making his way under the Chargers, and PJ Walker also got a backup role yeah. with the Panthers. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm all for it. Like, I mean, just more more opportunities to showcase your talents. Corey, hop in.
1: Yeah, I got one more question for Tom. So, Tom, do you, you feel like the way you guys practiced back in the day with like little rest, two a days, you know, for weeks consecutive, do you feel like that kind of hardened your body in a way? to help prevent from injuries? Because it seems like nowadays guys are are injured a lot more, it seems like, or the reporting about it. And and back in the day, you guys had a tougher practices, schedule, et cetera, less rest time. Do you feel like that hardened your body for a I, uh, season? I do. I, I do think it hardened our body. But you know what, Corey, you got to take this into account.
2: See, we had, and when we went to training camp, we had an unlimited roster. So a team like the Dallas Cowboys, they would go to training camp with 140, 155 guys. Wow. When we were with the Bears, we'd mm. go to camp with 120, 120 guys. So now Corey Wooten, instead of getting a rep every, every third rep on individual or every, you know, three out of five reps in, in nine on seven, now you're getting two reps. Now your rep on individual periods coming once every seven guys. So I, you know, for me. I think I would have liked to try the OTAs and then the 80 man, to 90 man roster that they have nowadays. And then the limited amount of contact practices, because I do think that would keep your body uh, physically fresher. But back in the day, it's almost there was more pressure on you because now instead of having three gu- three guys in the line at right guard, you got six, you got seven guys. Right. So now you're saying, okay, You know, who's going to cramp up, who's going to get hurt, who's not going to be that good, or who's the dark horse that, wow, this guy is legit. If I don't play better than him and and keep my position and come out here every day, you could be forgotten about in in a moment's notice. So there's a little bit difference in terms of numbers, but it was still survival of the fittest once you got there.
0: WBBM's Tom Thayer here just for a couple more minutes. I got like two real quick ones for you, Tom. We're going to get you out of here, Corey, if you want to squeeze one in. My first quick one for you is, Tom, uh, you've called so many games. You've watched a lot of Bears football. Corey Wooten, the player, give me a scouting report. What do you remember about his playing days? Lay it on him. Give it to him good.
2: You know, to me, I always love Northwestern guys, first of all, because we had a guy that I went to high school with that went to Northwestern and played high school football there before I, before I got out of high school, but – it was Corey's athleticism in his unique size to be able to move up and down the line of scrimmage. And I think that's one of his best traits, is because, you know, you could say, okay, in three weeks, we need you to gain a little weight because we need you at defensive tackle. Hey, I mean, what we're going to do is we're going to try you at defensive end. So, you know, if you can lose eight or, you know, six or eight pounds, but then you got guys like Israel Adonijah and Corey Wooten that kind of brought a unique body style into the frame of defensive line. And that's what I like. But, but I mean, I think knocking Favre out, I
1: think, you know, everybody, you know
2: I think, you know, up, up in the broadcast booth, Um, no offense to no offense, but, um, but I, I do think that, um, Whenever you can come in and you're a different template than everybody else is is looking at that one position, and then you're able to play wherever they need you up and down the line of scrimmage, contribute on special teams, having the willingness to be out there every day. That's what every teammate is looking for out of a teammate.
0: And doing the robot too,
2: doing
1: a great robot. (laughs)
2: that's what I said if I ever get shown on camera and I gotta dance I'm going straight to the robot Hey, that,
1: that, that's to that's never fail but yeah when I played it, w- it was always the best like on, on the road trips always talking to Tom we talk about you know the opposing O-line and he kind of tell me what he saw and different things and we talk about different things through training camp because he always watched the one-on-ones the nine-on-seven drills because you know us, us O-linemen and D-linemen we always have to be in the trenches and see what's going on so over the years had, had great conversations and actually when I first got to the Bears um we talked to him about the Quigley family that he knows from Joliet because Tom Joliet families out there all know each other so we had we had kind of talked about that and that's how we first met and said you know you know the Quigley family we got to talking and then yeah it was it was always a good time talking to Tom um got one question for you so in your career who was the hardest guy defensive lineman that gave you the hardest time out there oh wow you know it's it's weird because I
2: I Cora, I had the opportunity to play against Reggie White in college, at the USFL, and in the NFL. Bar none, there's not a more powerful player that I've ever played against in my life in the game conditions than Reggie White. But I will tell you this, because in our training camp practices, we went live. We were full pads. We were allowed to cut. It was whatever go- it all goes. I never went to practice comfortable because the because of practicing against Steve McMichael. And I think we all know what he's going through these days with the ALS, but Steve McMichael was the most important guy I ever played against on a daily basis than anybody in my career because he never took it easy on me. I remember getting yelled at in front of the press by Ditka because Steve was just beating my but in, in practice <laughs> and it, it, he made it difficult. And so when I think about the games and I think a guy like Reggie white, that stands above and beyond everybody else, but on a, on a week, on a daily basis of going to practice against McMichael, I mean, I, I was taped up, spatted up. I had full air in my helmet. I was ready to battle because yeah. Steve was man. He was a serious dude on the practice field.
1: Yeah. He's larger than life, man. I love love this person, love his personality and I did an event with him, a bull riding event uh back in my <laughs> second year right. in the league. And <laughs> you know just right. him with the cowboy hat and you know his just feel I I uh I understood why he became a wrestler later on in life as well. I mean, he just had the personality built for that. It was it was a fun time the whole time. I actually had to beat him in in the bull riding thing, so I only had to beat five seconds, and luckily I won. I didn't get hurt. My agent was all worried about it. He's like, listen, we're going to do this event, but just make sure you you jump off and you're fine. Okay, don't get hurt doing this because the Bears are going to get mad at me. We survived. Everything was good. (laughs) You know,
2: the first time in my life, it was a couple weeks before the Super Bowl. We were down in Atlanta practicing for the Super Bowl, and in their weight room, they had these cowboy doors. They were swinging doors. So it was the first time that I ever benched 500 pounds. And so I had 495 on there, which is just five 45-pound plates on each side. <laughs> and all of a sudden, these doors bust open like a cowboy, like a saloon. And Steve looks at and he goes, put the two and a halfs on each side, you sissy.
1: <laughs> and so I got up,
2: put the two and a halfs on each side that made it 500. I was able to complete the bench. And it was really the inspiration of Steve from the practice field into the weight room that, you know, he was larger than life to me because he was older than me. He had more experience. He was super serious about the business of football. So I I, I appreciate the influence that he had on me in, in my football life.
0: Yeah, I think the mark that he's left on Chicago sports will never Will never go away. I think it's branded and imprinted into Chicago sports forever. And if you guys are, if the audience right now is hearing this story, if you Google Steve McMichael or look up ALS, there are great ways to support not just Steve right now through GoFundMes, but also support the cause to hopefully one day defeating ALS too as well Tom Thayer WBBM's Tom Thayer on Believe in Bears thank you so much for coming on to the podcast such a pleasure such a great time I from afar have been listening to you (laughs) my entire Chicago Bears career and I've been cheering for you for such a long time and really grateful to have you on the podcast today uh we do it with every guest if you have any socials or anything that you want to promote feel free but otherwise um have a wonderful summer and we look forward to hearing such amazing content you got coming for us this bear season well, I don't want to
2: give my telephone number out over your podcast because that's all I have.
0: <laughs> He's old school. Have
2: anything to do with social media, and uh, you know what, Corey? I think I'm too thin-skinned because I don't want to read all those <laughs> messages of telling me what what garbage I heard. Like, you know, oh, you're bad at this. You were bad at that. So. I'm too, I'm the youngest of my family, so I think I'm
1: too thin-skinned for hey, that. You're wise, you're wise he, you He's here. too busy surfing in, in, in that's Hawaii, right. man. Yeah, he's yeah. he's out there, he's out there surfing, baby. <laughs> that's
2: one thing I do know. I'm the best surfer on the '85 Super Bowl team.
1: Anybody? <laughs>
2: oh, oh take that okay. to take
0: that to the bank. Uh, you just got back from Hawaii, real quick. How how are the breaks?
2: Awesome. You know, I was there for about a month and a half, and it's a great time of year to surf south swell in the Hawaiian Islands. And luckily got blessed with a great surf for significant periods of time. And you know what? It's the only thing that kind of puts that nervousness in the pit of my stomach, like driving up the soldier field or any stadium on game day. Mm. And I think it's a real, it's a real healthy thing for me, especially as I got to, I get older. You got to search for that thing that always puts that excitement in your stomach. Like a game day did.
1: Yeah. You got to love uh, it. I, I was, I, I was in Hawaii. That. I was in Hawaii, Tom, and I was uh, staying on Pipeline. So we we, oh. had sur- we had surfed out there, and it was it was it was dope out there. So I had been yeah. surfing since I was a kid at the Jersey Shore, where I grew up. A lot of my cousins did it. So yeah, my, my wife didn't believe that I could surf. We went out there, you know, standing up doing the thing. She said, "Oh, I didn't think you could do it." I said, "Come on, baby, come on." Well, come
2: on! I'll take you up to Sheboygan. I go up to Sheboygan and surf, and they have good surf up there. So, okay, cool. We do I'm a always down, man
1: yeah you Get me a longboard. I'm not a shortboard guy. Uh-huh. All right, I'm I get a longboard got all day. Okay, cool. <laughs>
0: Today's episode of Believe in Bears was presented by BetOnline.ag and also on YouTube. Thank you so much for checking us out. Like, subscribe, and share. And also, thank you so much for listening to us because Believe in Bears is now on SiriusXM all summer long and for the next upcoming season. Corey, man, great to see you, man. Super great episode. Uh, Just take us home real quick on a great pod.
1: Yeah, it was a great guest with Tom. It's always a good time talking with him. (laughs) Excited for what the Bears are going to do this year. Excited for the future podcast and uh, can't wait for the football season, man.
0: Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We'll be back with another great pod soon. Until then, bear down.
1: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.